Hi everyone, it's Jody. Welcome to Mummy Brain Revisited. On today's episode, I talk with Dr. Johnny Cole, who's a group leader of the State Dependent Neuroprocessing Laboratory at the Francis Crick Institute in London. And we talk about his recent paper in Science, where they looked at neuroremodeling during pregnancy. It's a really great study. Enjoy the episode. jump in with my first question and that is like I mean how did you get started in parental brain research or what was your interest in it yeah so when I uh when I started my postdoc so after after my PhD uh which I did uh in in, in fruit flies actually I was uh, looking for a new challenge uh, and I wasn't specifically interested in the parental brain at the time. I was really just looking for um, cool models to understand the relationship between um, circuits in the brain and behavior. Uh, and it's when I uh, saw um, Catherine Deluxe speak at a conference in, in Toronto, actually, uh, where, she, where she presented the uh, then unpublished work on how the small population of neurons in the brain, uh, so these galanin expressing neurons in the medial preoptic area, how they control um, parental behavior in mice, that really, uh, that really fascinated me. And, and I thought that's such a cool model system um, that allows you to understand relationship between a complex um, instinctive behavior and the underlying circuits. And that's why that's why I really got interested in, in parental behavior. So it was more um, out of an interest as um, um, in, in having a, a cool uh, model system to um, bring those two um, domains of behavior and, and um, neural circuits together. Yeah, I think it's always fascinating how we end up in our parental brain research because some people assume I get this a lot because that, that I'm interested in it because I have kids, but I actually was interested in it way before I had kids, right? And so this mm -hmm. is, and I always say like, I have colleagues who don't have children, who are men, who are fascinated by it because it's cool, right? And I think that this is Absolutely. nice. Absolutely. Yeah. So super Absolutely, cool. it was the same for me. Yeah, it was the same for me. I I, I was uh, interested in it long before I I had kids, and I'm I'm still managing to actually keep my research and my you know my parenthood. Um, I'm quite um separate actually. You know, so I'm it doesn't uh, you know it doesn't inform my daily interactions with my with my son, for instance. You know, I, maybe yeah. it should, but it 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 I don't think it does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I think uh, we also come at it once we know a bit more about the parental brain. We maybe come at parenting a bit differently too, right? So um just in general yeah. but I, yeah. I thought today we could just focus on your science paper that recently came out and congratulations on that I think it was a really lovely so. piece of work and I really am appreciating seeing more and more parental brain research coming out right and so I think uh yeah so this is this is exciting but your study I mean first of all maybe just tell us what was kind of the basis for your work or this study mm -hmm. in particular so I guess the uh, the overall motivation for this study was were really a number of observations. The first observation was that it's quite well known that um, during pregnancy, the um, female body already prepares for the future challenges of motherhood. And um, one very well known example is the, uh, the production of milk, which starts already quite early and way before it's actually needed to then um, feed the offspring. And that's really um, interesting because the body, in a, in a way, doesn't just react to a, to a challenge. So the, the offspring suddenly arriving, it prepares, uh, prepares for it way before. And, you know, the, the, the thing is that 
one of the key uh, challenges of motherhood is a, a behavioral one. So the, the the female is really asked to suddenly take care of offspring uh, pretty much um, overnight. So on day minus one, there is no offspring. And day zero of being a parent, there's suddenly offspring. And in, in, in mice, for instance, we are not talking about just one, but um, up to 10 um, um, pups that they suddenly have to take, take care of. And the question is, how you prepare for this challenge? You know, do you simply just react to this challenge and you 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 rise up to the challenge on the day that the pups are born, or is there something going on during pregnancy that helps you um, prepare for this um, for this challenge? So the question was whether um, um, the brain during pregnancy already prepares for those future behavioral challenges of motherhood. Yeah. So that's um, that's the overall uh, motivation to do this study, and then. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. No, I was just going to also preface that this study was in, done in mice. And so That's I think correct, that, yeah. yeah, this is correct. And when you mentioned like the milk production, I don't think it's the same in human women necessarily, although it varies. So some women will have milk production occurring in late pregnancy and some not just to clarify, because sometimes, yeah, we, we need to clarify the species are slightly different, but there's similarities for sure. But definitely, I think this yeah, this is super interesting, right? To be like, how does the brain prepare in pregnancy to rapidly care for young in the postpartum period? So, mm -hmm. okay. Exactly. Um, and then, and then I guess um, also the, our study, uh, like 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 most most studies in, in in research, they rested really on on a foundation of um, pioneering work that was performed decades earlier. So there are especially three strands of research uh, that were performed in the um, in the seventies and eighties that that laid the groundwork for this. Um, so the first observation was that in classical studies in rats, it was already observed that there's an onset of parental behavior in late pregnancy. Um, already, in, in contrast to um, the common model that, or the common expectation um, that it is the um, the hormonal changes um, associated with the act of giving birth of parturition mm -hmm. that really um, lead to the onset of parental behavior. So that's the first observation. The second observation was that when um, um, a C-section was performed in those late pregnant animals, they still um, um, showed these behavioral changes, and that really shows that the act of giving birth and of being exposed um, to offspring afterwards is not really necessary for these changes to occur. And then the, mm. um, the third, yeah. And then the thir third observation was that when you um, um, hormonally stimulate um, otherwise non-parental virgin female rodents, when you stimulate them with um, pregnancy homo hormones and especially potent are estradiol and progesterone in this context, um, they start um, behaving parentally. So you can um, stimulate parental behavior um, via hormonal administrations, uh, and so these um, three observations then led us to hypothesize, and we are not we are not the only ones in this respect, that um, it's the uh, hormonal milieu of pregnancy that somehow um, um, primes these um, parenting circuits during pregnancy, uh, and then um, prepares these circuits um, for action once the pups are here. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I mean, this is, this is the idea that's been around for decades, right? This hormonal, exactly. but you took it actually step further instead of just saying hormones kind of change the brain and prepare you for parenthood. You actually were able to investigate which cells and which hormones in more detail. Right. So I think that this is, this is where it kind of, you started to answer the question of how does the hormone milieu impact the the maternal brain to lead to parenting which i think is super cool um but then so then maybe tell us a little bit about 
the study because, or, or maybe because, well, before that, why don't you take us one step further? Because you were specifically looking at the galanin expressing neurons in the MPOA, right? So this is a little That's bit right. different than just like the hormones in the brain do something. It's actually, you were interested in this population because maybe give us a brief background as to why. Okay, so why, why those neurons? Um, so these uh, galanin-producing neurons in the medial proptic area are interesting because, as we've previously shown, um, they occupy a, a very um, privileged node in, in parenting circuits. So they, they, they form um, a nexus in those brain-wide circuits that is absolutely crucial for um, showing parental behavior in, uh, in, in mice. So when you um, artificially activate these neurons in non-parental animals, you can evoke uh, parental behavior. Then conversely, when you ablate those neurons in parental animals, um, they stop um, being parental. So that was the, uh, the this, this work that I was referring to earlier that really um, got me hooked and, and, and made me join um, this line of research. And when I was a postdoc, um, I got interested in, in, in delineating the uh, neural networks, the neural circuits within which those neurons function. And I, I managed to show that um, the, um, these neurons, they, they form different subpopulations that each control um, different aspects of parental behavior. So, so therefore, uh, I guess this population was a, a natural starting point um, um, for our um, um, current investigation, because it's also quite well known that the medial optic area itself is highly um, hormone sensitive. So it, it was it was really um, um, the best place to start. So we we actually in unpublished work we also tried to um, to do this in a in a bit more of an unbiased manner, and we did brain wide screening um, for um, hormone sensitive brain areas and for remodeling um, in in such brain areas. And you know those uh, brain wide datasets also pointed us um, to the medial preoptic area. So it's not really just um, you know for historical reasons that we started there. It's also um, uh, due to other lines of evidence. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe tell us a little bit more about the, the study itself. Mm -hmm. So in, the, in this study, we first wanted to, to figure out whether this um, pregnancy-associated onset of parental behavior also occurs in mice. So these classical studies that I, I referred to earlier, they were all done in rats. Um, and, and even though they're quite, um, quite similar in some, in some respect, they're still different species that diverged um, um, a, lo a long time ago. So we first simply did um, behavioral assays uh, in which we then females um, before, during, and after pregnancy to pups, and then just um, watched what, what happened during, um, during a 15-minute observation period. And what we found was quite um, striking. We found that parental behavior really increased um, in those animals um, already um, in early pregnancy, and it, in late pregnancy, their parental performance was um, indistinguishable um, from, the, from the performance of mothers. Yeah? And you know, of two, two behavior parameters, for instance, that we, that we looked at, and they're quite recognizable, are the uh, latency with which these animals retrieve um, pups to their nest. So pup retrieval to the nest is a very um, stereotypic um, um, behavior uh, in, in rodents and other species. And also that the time that they spend crouching a puff, uh, above pups um, in, in the nest, you know, which um, females do to keep the pups warm and to later uh, nurse them. Um, so this, this parental performance increased um, quite um, dramatically um, during pregnancy, and it seemed to be aligned with the um, um, changes of uh, several pregnancy hormones, most notably estradiol and progesterone. Now, what was really interesting is that when we followed the behavior of these animals um, after they gave birth, and, and a few weeks after they also weaned their pups, their performance was still very high. And, and that is interesting because at that time point, all of these Pregnancy and parturition-associated um, hormonal changes have gone back to baseline. So, we, so we, what we have here is a, is a long-term 
um, change in behavior that is um, that doesn't depend on hormones being around all the time. And that's why we hypothesized that this must be relying on a, um, 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 a neuronal or, or brain remodeling um, that occurs during pregnancy. Now, the next question was where um, um, this remodeling occurs. And as, as I mentioned, we, uh, we focused on the medial proptic area in the first instance. And what we wanted to test now is whether a uh, hormone sensitivity of of, the, of neurons in this area is really um, is really important for, for this upregulation of parental behavior. So we, what we did is we used um, viruses and transgenic mouse lines to specifically make these MPOA neurons insensitive um, to um, two key pregnancy hormones, namely estradiol and progesterone. What we found was that when you do this. Um, these behavioral adaptations um, completely disappear. So these um, pregnant animals, rather than now being more like mothers in, in their behavior, they are now stuck in a um, you know, virgin-like um, behavioral state. And then when we um, made these manipulations even more specific, so we, we now made only the galanine uh, neurons in the MPOA insensitive to hormones, so they represent about 20% of all MPOA neurons, we could re recapitulate um, the same findings. So making this small population of only about 10,000 neurons out of 100 million in the mouse brain, making those insensitive to estradiol and progesterone, completely um, abolished those um, behavioral adaptations. Mm. And the next um, step was then to understand what happens to these neurons? What do these two hormones do to these neurons? So we, we, we turned um, to um, slice electrophysiology. So that's a very um, a high resolution method to investigate biophysical and morphological changes in individual neurons. And that's done in, um, in, in brain slices, so in freshly prepared brain slices. So um, outside um, the body, not in the living brain. Um, and what we found here was that what pregnancy does to these neurons is, is, is threefold. So it, first of all, and that was contrary to our expectations, it actually um, silences and the, back, uh, the, the baseline activity of these neurons. So rather than becoming more active um, in, in the unstimulated state, these neurons become less active. There's uh, mm. less um, background noise, if you want. But then paradoxically also, they become more excitable. So they, they are less active under baseline conditions, but when you stimulate them with inputs, so we inject the current in this case, uh, they actually fire more, um, more, more vigorously. So that those, that's, that's the second change. And the third um, change that we found was that these neurons, they also receive more um, stimulatory, more excitatory inputs. So the circuit integration of these neurons um, 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 somehow changes. Now, it, it, got really, it became really interesting when we looked into which of those effects were um, um, instructed by um, estradiol or progesterone. So when, when we did this, we found that um, estradiol, or I, I'll, I'll just call it estrogen, uh, it's, it's, it's easier maybe, is estrogen um, estrogen basically well, mediates? We should maybe say yeah. that estradiol is a type of estrogen, just to clarify. But we often talk about estro estrogen yeah. as the hormone, yeah. but we, that's important, I think, exactly. to clarify because we're well aware that there's Absolutely. other estrogens. But yes, just say Absolutely. estrogen. No problem. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I will just use it as a shorthand. Um, yeah. So we, we found that estrogen mediates all of these um, changes to the intrinsic properties of these neurons. So the baseline activity and the excitability. But in, in contrast, progesterone mediated um, the recruitment of these additional inputs so that they, they play, um, they're both important in the remodeling of these neurons and, and in interfering with the sensitivity of these neurons to either estrogen and progesterone um, abolish the, abolishes the be behavioral changes, but they do complementary um, um, things. So they're, they're completely non-overlapping in, in, their, in their actions on these neurons. And okay. then um, the, last, the last question that, that we asked is, 
what the consequences of that cellular remodeling are for the function of these neurons in the living um, behaving brain. So we used a um, pretty cool technique, uh, these, these um, head-mounted miniature microscopes um, that the mice can carry around on the head uh, to record from these neurons um, while the mouse is, uh, was, was um, interacting with pups and other, um, other stimuli. And we found that, um, as in brain slices, that in pregnancy, uh, the activity, the baseline activity of these neurons was drastically reduced. But we also found that those uh, neurons that were still um, responding they responded to pup stimuli much more selectively and strongly. Now we have a, what we call population sparsening. So we have a sparser, a smaller population that respond um, um, to pups and during parental behavior, but those responses are much more selective and, and much stronger. And that's that's really interesting because those um, phenomena is what we see in a developing brain as well. So when you when you record um, from you know um, from visual cortex in the developing brain, for instance, what you see is as the cortex matures um, and you present the animal with a with a simple stimulus, such a grating um, stimulus, then the responses become a lot sparser, a lot more selective, and and a lot stronger. So we we therefore think that what we have here is that we have um, the pregnancy hormones open up a window of plasticity in the adult brain during which um, the circuit reorganizes um, to prepare um, the, the organism for the future behavioral challenges of motherhood. Yeah, and as you're talking about this, it's making me think of, I mean, other research that we've done and we've talked about it that's happened in the parental brain world, where there's this idea of a fine tuning of the system. So where there's a selectivity and a preciseness in different areas of the brain that make it potentially more efficient in um, in the parent, in the mother in particular, in response to uh, caring for the child or caring for the young. So I think that this is, I mean, this is a really elegant way of showing the preciseness of that fine tuning, where you see that the, the cells, that there's a sparseness, but there's, there's actually an increase in activation and input and that it's quite specific to to the cues of the offspring for example but this is really i think this is i mean even though this kind of maps on with development early in life i think it also shows how much the brain is developing during this period in adult life right so yeah and i think we often i mean forget about our adult brains in terms of how plastic they are. But now we're starting to see this more and more, particularly with motherhood or individuals who've been pregnant, but also all parents, I think, uh, have, we know have some measure of plasticity. So this is super cool. So, okay. So then my, always my question, and I've had Catherine on the podcast mm-hmm. a couple years ago. So it's yeah. the galanin expressing neurons. So what about galanin? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure what she said about that. Um, I mean, she was um, very clear that... with me. Actually, she was. I remember <laughs> her being being very clear that it was the galanin expressing neuron. So she didn't say it was galanin. So that I remember yeah. was very clear. And she also had mentioned that there have been some other studies showing that galanin might be important. Um, but I, I I am always curious because you didn't look at galanin essentially, did you? No, we didn't. We, we just use, um, um, and we have been using galanin really just as a genetic entry point, you know. Um, so uh, what I mean by that is that the MPOA is, uh, is, is a, you know, is a big brain area that is involved in many behaviors and physiological functions. And like, like most brain areas, it contains, um, you know, dozens of different cell types. 
Uh, and and the the goal of of the of this 2014 um, study in Catherine's lab was really to find a marker for those MPOA neurons that are enriched or involved in parental behavior, and they found um, they found galanin um, to be a, a candidate for that. That doesn't mean that it's a perfect overlap, by no means. So there's um, so there's many parenting activated neurons that don't express galanin. There's many galanin neurons that don't that are not involved in parental behavior, as as, as far as we can tell. So it's re- but it's really just um, a, a decent enough um, entry point to specifically manipulate um, um, to manipulate neurons that are you know um, specific enough uh, for parental behavior, and that has always been my attitude too. Um, so you know this is really just an entry point um, in understand in, into understanding um, um, circuits and uh, remodeling. What galanin does itself, yeah, we haven't really looked at. It, it, we haven't really looked into and and. It's it's because it's because of this imperfect match between those, uh, you know between um, uh, which neurons are um, you know involved in parenting and the galanin population that I, I was a bit reluctant into looking this as, into into looking into this as well because I, I you know I, I personally don't believe that galanin itself is is you know is a is a is a is a magical peptide that it's involved in parenting. There are galanin neurons in many other places in the nervous system that are involved in many other functions. It's just in this case, it's a convenient enough um, uh, marker. You know, maybe I'll I'll be I'll be I'll be proven wrong, and that the the peptide itself will will have a certain uh, a very specific um, function in parenting. But at this point, I don't think there's any um any any strong data suggesting that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just bring it up because it's always these galanin expressing neurons, but nobody talks about yeah. the whether it's galanin, which they express, right? But that being said, it's, exactly. it's yeah. also, yeah, it's also making me think that, of course, you know, once these cells are activated, there's a lot of things that are going on, right? So just, you know, mm-hmm. they have to communicate with other brain areas to elicit different responses. And this is not just something that's a one-to-one effect or one thing will be responsible for that, right? It's, we know that there's yeah. a lot of, there's a complex interplay between neurohormones and neurotransmitters and, and peptides to, to make parenting behavior happen. And so it's not just, it would never just be galanin, I think, but it's always curious to me that, yeah, that it is these galanin expressing neurons in the MPOA mm-hmm. that are important. Yes. Yeah. But there's so there must be something else about them besides galanin that's important, right? Exactly. I mean, that's what our study suggests as well. Our, our recent study, uh, because um, being sensitive to estradiol or progesterone is not something that is exclusive to these galanin neurons. Um, so uh, galanin neurons are um, they form a subset of, of of those neurons, for instance, that express the estrogen receptor, um, and about half of um, all MPOA neurons express the estrogen receptor. And that really, yet when we looked at non-galanin neurons and and a potential remodeling in non-galanin neurons in the MPOA, we didn't find equivalent changes. So that means that there must be something else about those neurons besides expressing galanin and expressing um, um, the estrogen receptor or progesterone receptor that makes them uh, uniquely uh, uh, suited uh, to be remodeled in this specific way, and and that might be um, you know uh, you know uh, already like you know um, genomic accessibility. You know there might be epigenetic signatures um, that these neurons have that other neurons don't have. You know so these are very intriguing questions. You know what makes these neurons uniquely receptive um, to this sort of um, hormonal remodeling, and yeah, that's that's certainly something that that we we should be looking at. Yeah. Yeah. What makes them uniquely uh, receptive, but also then what happens? Right, exactly. because because exactly. they're yeah. activated to do something, they can't just mm-hmm. they. It's not a direct behavioral output. There has to be something else going on. 
in a, I say this in a very simplified way, but yeah. Exactly. And I guess, you know, the question is, is then, I guess, uh, does um, release of galanin itself as a neuromodulatory um, signal then, um, you know, um, affect um, parenting itself? And these are experiments that wouldn't, that wouldn't be too difficult to do. But um, I, I guess, you know, we, we only have um, limited um, bandwidth and no one has um, chosen to do them yet. I, I hope someone will soon. Um, but for now, that's, a, that's an open question. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I guess, and as we're talking about this, I'm also thinking, do we know if these cells are actually affected by, let's say, stress, for example, or do they play a role, let's say, in, you know, maternal behaviors in the context of mental illness, for example? Like, has anybody done that to see if they're different? Not that I know. Um, I I don't know if these. I, I it's it's very likely, and um, that there have been um, spatial tectonic papers showing that um, a subset of these cells express receptors for stress hormones, um, uh, corticosteroids. Um, but I don't think there's any um, direct evidence yet um, um, that stress affects um, these cells. Are they involved in, I guess, in, in functions that might be uh, related to uh, disorders such as postpartum depression or anxiety? Again, we don't know that. You know, it's, that's another um, a very exciting um, avenue for future research is what happens if, if that hormonal remodeling actually goes wrong? You know, um, does that lead to, um, uh, I guess, to phenotypes that are, that are relatable um, to those um, uh, human conditions? But that's something that, um, yeah, we haven't looked into, yeah. Yeah, I'm just thinking, could it be also a potential area to target or system to target once you knew more about those those uh, neurons and what they're doing for treatments or interventions, right? But that being said, we've talked a lot about moms, and I always like to bring in also, also the uh, non-birthing parent and their important role. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But has there been any research on these galanin expressing neurons and their role in paternal behaviors? Yes, there has there has been some research into um uh, into how the uh, prolactin system uh, modulates the role of uh, modulates these cells in in um in males, so in in rats and in in mice. Um, so that that really um demonstrates that this is a the generic um circuit is non-sexually dimorphic. So so both the dads and the moms will have this circuit, but that there are um sex-specific hormonal signatures that lead to the differential activation of, 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 of those um, circuits. And I guess that might be a, a general feature of, of, uh, of, of, of parenting circuits in other species too, that the core circuitry is very similar between mothers and females, but you have these differences in, in, in the hormone signature that, that tunes these circuits to the needs um, yeah, in, yeah. Of, of, of both parents. Yeah. And I think this is important for people to understand is that the brain is sexually differentiated, but it's actually very, very similar, but often mm -hmm. the ways it changes can be different, right? Based on your exactly. sex. Yeah. So mm -hmm. um, I was looking at, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm looking at my questions over here because I had something, because you also, I mean, you talked about this a little bit about how there was like this permanent or at least this enduring effect on this, the cells even past weaning. Um, That's right, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, like, for me, I thought this was interesting because it kind of talks about 
how, or it, it is another piece of the puzzle of how parenting impacts the brain in the long term. But we're often studying virgin animals in the laboratory, right? And so are we missing actually a big piece of the puzzle because we're not studying animals that have been reproductively active when our population, the majority of individuals, especially women, will become pregnant mm-hmm. in their lifetime? What are your, I mean, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on that? So um, I, I guess it depends on um, I guess I guess it depends on what you're asking. So what we were asking from the system here is is how how plastic the system is to then uh, to lead to this uh, very robust um, mother-like um, parental behavior. And as you said, we find that these um, changes or some of these changes are um, long-lasting and potentially um, um, permanent. That's actually something that we're addressing right now. But I guess. The question is: Should we should we be studying uh, mothers um, more uh, more specifically? Well, or, or parents I guess, yeah, in general, yeah. but yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's right. I, I guess um, I guess the whole um, you know the, the way we study these behaviors in the lab is is a bit of a it's a bit of an artifact, obviously, because we study uh, we study mice and 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 these um, especially in in mouse colonies, especially females have been selectively bred um, for now nearly 100 years um, to enrich for certain traits and being docile uh, and being spontaneously parental in virgins is one of those um, um, traits. When you look at uh, wild populations, uh, virgin females are actually infanticidal. Um, so we expect that what we found here will be even more pronounced in wild populations where the female switches from infanticidal, so pup-directed aggression, um, to pup-directed um, 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 care. So in, in that in that respect, yes. Um, in, in that respect, um, studying the mothers um, would be more informative to understand um, our parental circuits. When, when we look at the overall, um, you know, what I call mesoscale um, architecture of the parenting circuits, and 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 we did this in in our previous study, you don't actually see much of a difference between the parenting circuit in virgins and mothers. Um, uh, arguably, we didn't have the resolution to um, to detect um, fine fine scale anatomical or functional changes. Uh, and now we see that uh, that they, these changes might be quite subtle, uh, but it, it it seems that the circuit in principle is in place in in the in the virgin arena. But now the question is, how good can the virgin become in absence of hormonal changes? Um, and oh, it is the mother um, a different animal um, um, fundamentally when you look um, more closely. But I I, I I agree with you that you know uh, we need to look at, at mothers more carefully. It's often just a, a matter of uh, being pragmatic as well. No one wants to um, to wait until these um, these females get pregnant until they they wean their pups and so on. You know, and when I look at the people in my lab as well, they're quite keen on um, you know um, a, a certain experimental throughputs. And these long-term experiments are often not the most popular ones, you know. So that's a part of the explanation, I think, why we have um, been collectively focusing on on, on virgins um, um, quite a bit because they are uh, parental in the lab and because they're just um, easier to work with. Yeah, yeah, but I think you've touched on there something that we see also, also um, when studying sex differences, right? Because for a long time, neuroscience has really based a lot of findings on male rodents because they're easier to use. The excuse being they don't have a cycle, right? So, and now we're starting to change that, which is great. But then I am always thinking as more and more data comes out about the long-term impact or the permanence of the parental brain, Mm -hmm. that we're also missing another piece, right? That the value of the reproductive state or the experience 
of reproduction and in not just in females, but also in males. Um, but then you hit on a point that's really a practical point is the time it takes to do these studies. I mean, I did this in grad school. I had first time and second time moms. So it takes a long mm -hmm. time. And the people down the hall were just like done their studies in three weeks, right? On yep. whatever <laughs> virgin males. Mm -hmm. And you're like, uh, mm -hmm. so, you know, there is this, <laughs> yeah. like science does not allow for the time, I think, because it can impact then production in terms of publications. But then, you know, this is a bit of a trade-off, right? Because what does that really mean in the end um, if we're not answering questions well, you know, if we don't start to think of reproductive state as being something we should maybe look at when we're looking at all sorts of things when it, and it comes to the brain and, and the body. Absolutely. But Absolutely. Yeah, yeah no, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, the uh, my lab is 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 called uh, state-dependent neural processing for that exact reason, because there's a high appreciation and increasing appreciation that state matters, and that having a certain circuit doesn't actually mean that you're using it. And conversely, being a, in a certain state um, uh, doesn't mean that you behave in a in a certain way, because there's might be many other states that interact uh, in, on on the same um, circuit substrates. You know, so we are really trying to entangle uh, the interplay of those different hormonal and non-hormonal um, um, states to figure out which circuits are used under which um, 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 circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. So that being said, yeah. what are some other things that you're working on in this area? Yeah, so um, at, at the moment, what we what we are working on is 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 exactly to understand the interplay of those um, re reproductive hormonal states uh, with other states such as hunger, for instance. So we um, we are we are working on, on the question of how hunger state and the estrus cycle, for instance, determine um, pup directed behavior, and we we are, we are finding some pretty um, um, dramatic effects there, which hopefully uh, we will be will be publishing soon. Um, so that's that's one line of research. Uh, another line then um, goes further into the um, the circuit um, effects of these um, pregnancy hormones. So now we've we've um, we've, we've we've focused on a one specific population. But um, based on our data and the data of many other labs, it suggests that many um, parts of the brain and of parenting circuits are um, hormone sensitive or they have the capacity to be hormone sensitive, in fact. So the question is how, uh, you know, you have all of these, uh, these hormones um, 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 swirling around. Uh, they can reach every, every uh, little part of the brain. How do you coordinate um, this massive hormone exposure on multiple parts of the circuit to bring this circuit to a new um, adaptive state without messing it all up, you know? So yeah. it's a, um, an, an open um, um, question, I would say. And then another, another question is obviously, uh, and, and you mentioned that, is what's um, happening in, in, in the male brain. Yeah. You know, that's not something that we are um, actively working on now, but I think that's a very um, um, important line for future research because, you know, and I guess, as you, as you said, most of neuroscience is, is biased um, against females because of this, you know, I, in my opinion, irrational fear of uh, of hormonal states yeah but i guess in, in in our line of research there's a there's a bit of a bias against males um paradoxically no uh because uh i i guess you know uh, there's this this dogma that um uh, males don't have um any drastic hormonal changes uh, but i don't believe that that's really based on on, on solid enough evidence yeah yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm also one who's very biased towards the female brain uh, in my research. That's how I've been. And I've won, mm -hmm. especially in, in parenting, I've only recently been seeing the value of talking about the a dad's brain in part, because so often a lot of our research around motherhood and the brain is 
oriented to understand how motherhood or stress in motherhood impacts offspring. So then you end up with this whole mom blame, like culture that we see so often and actually and often the dad literature is like oh it's so great they play together and everybody's happy it's really still existent right so I always like to then you know bring in that piece of you don't have to just because you gave birth doesn't mean you have to be the primary caregiver because other parents brains change too And also the other parent, if they're stressed or if they have a mental illness, that impacts their child as well. It doesn't mean it's just the mom. And so this is where I, yeah, I, I mean, I see the value in bringing in this aspect of, of studying both parents, but I still think, I mean, just studying the maternal brain is really fascinating and we need to do more of it. Right. But I think, yeah, it's, it's a tricky business, especially when we talk about mental, mental health, because Mm -hmm. I think, uh, yeah, for me, I've thought a lot about this. We need to balance it out a bit, right? It's not just uh, mom who's responsible or mom who does everything. It doesn't need to be. Yeah, exactly. So, what what I didn't want this study to be is to deliver a, a blueprint for how uh, parenting, um, I guess, should be done in, in humans, you know, by focusing yeah. on these in, in, intrinsic hormonal mechanisms. Because we know even in mice and rodents that uh, you can become an excellent parenting simply by observational learning or sensitization. And yeah. in, in humans, obviously, there are many more routes uh, to becoming an excellent parent and all sorts of constellations. So I think that's important to keep in mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that this is why, like, I love this research, right? That where you showed really like the mechanism of some change is really important for parenting. And it's not meaning that that's all that happens. And that's why a mom is a mom and she has to care for, you know, babies. It's really just showing how fascinating this whole system is and how these hormones are acting on the brain to elicit behavior, not saying that, yeah, it's a mom's job, go home, make babies, right? So I think that, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is, this is also always the challenge in communicating the science to some degree is, is making sure the message comes out. But I've also taken the motto that all publicity is good publicity in some form. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's why I think it's important to, uh, to engage uh, with with the public in in that way, you know, that way you have some control over the message. Yeah, definitely. And it still gets misconstrued, but that's okay. Absolutely. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) That's okay. They can read the paper. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anyway, but okay. And I think that's it for me. Thank you so much for sharing your research with us and your ideas. I think this has been really fascinating. No, thanks. Thanks for having me. Questions, comments, suggestions, get in touch at Mummy Brain Revisited on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. You can also contact me on my website at jodipaluski.com. That's J-O-D-I-P-A-W-L-U-S-K-I.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. Pulling and pushing away, so bad in